A reading from Ezekiel. The hand of the Lord came upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me all around them. There were very many lying in the valley, and they were very dry. He said to me, Mortal, can these bones live? I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, I will cause death to enter you and you shall live. I shall lay sinews on you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I had been commanded. And as I prophesied, suddenly there was a noise, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. I looked, and there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, mortal, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon the slain that they may live. I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, a vast multitude. Then he said to me, Mortal, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say, Our bones are dried up, and our hope is lost. We are cut off completely. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you back to the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people. I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you on your own soil. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken and will act, says the Lord. The word of the Lord. A reading from Romans. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For this reason, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot, and those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, you are in the spirit, since the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through his spirit that dwells in you. The word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was ill. 
So the sisters sent a message to Jesus, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death, rather it is for God's glory, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Accordingly, though Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, after having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jewish leaders were just now trying to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Those who walk during the day do not stumble because they see the light of this world, but those who walk at night do stumble because the light is not in them. After saying this, he told them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to awaken him. The disciples said to Jesus, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will be all right. Jesus, however, had been speaking about his death, but they thought that he was referring merely to sleep. So Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, but for your sake I am glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. And when Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, Oh yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. And when she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, Mary got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary get up quickly and go out. They followed her because they thought that she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. And he said, Where have you laid him? And they said to Jesus, Lord, come and see. And Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them, Could not the one who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? And then Jesus, again, greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench, because he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I've said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe that you sent me. And when he'd said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, 
his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth, and his face wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. The Gospel of the Lord. Acknowledge, we humbly beseech you, a lamb of your own flock, a sheep of your own fold, a sinner of your own redeeming. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. This story occurs exactly in the middle of John's Gospel. And a number of commentators will tell you that this is the hinge of the gospel or, or the axis for it, this particular act. And um, because it's Lent, the, the, the people who prepared the lectionary thought you might enjoy hearing the whole chapter. And of course, it's great. Um, the challenge of it is you just heard the whole chapter. So what is it to focus on? And... Um, and I don't know, so here's, 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 here's what we'll try, you know. From the beginning, uh, it's important that even if this is the axis of the gospel, it is not a resurrection story. It's really important to know it is not about that. This is a story that is about resuscitation, which happens every day in America. Resuscitation is when somebody dies, that is, depending how you define death, their heart stops, their brain stops functioning. And then later, the heart and the brain start functioning again, and so they go from being dead to living. But of course, we know they will die again. And it is important for us to remember that these dry bones do not live forever. And that Lazarus, after his life is restored, after he is resuscitated, will die again. In fact, the tradition says the Jewish leaders kill him because then there's no proof that Jesus did anything fantastic. Resuscitation happens every day in my last church. Um, it's on the island of Coronado in San Diego. It's where the, the seal base is, and of course it's, it's imposed, right? It's part of the training that you're drowned and you're resuscitated, right? This, this, this happens. Resurrection is different, and it's important to remember this, that there's only one resurrected person according to the Bible, and of course it's Jesus. He dies and then comes back to life, but will never die again. And that's different. So at the, at the, again, I want you to hear, because we're going to return to it, this is not a resurrection story. It's about someone who lost life receiving life back, but you know, that's tenuous, receiving life back. The other thing that maybe is important to say at the beginning is that this is a great story about our patron saint, Thomas, who only speaks three times total. Thomas called Didymus. Now, Thomas is his name in Aramaic, Aramaic, and in Greek his name is Didymus. It's the same name, and it means in both languages the twin. And whose twin do you think he was? 
Yeah, there's this interesting tradition that goes way back. It's from the second century AD or CE that this is Jesus's twin. Now, you might be immediately thinking, how does that work biologically? And, 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 and maybe that's the claim. But I do think, if nothing else, this is the claim that his spirit is so kindred with Jesus that the other disciples called him the little Jesus or the twin. He knew Jesus so well and was so willing. And sure enough, have a look at what Thomas does here. The disciples are loath to go back to Judea. They've already been there. It happened in chapter 10. We're reading from chapter 11. In chapter 10, they go to Judea and Jesus says things that not everybody liked and they decided they'd stone him. They didn't and the disciples leave. They go back up north to the Galilee, which is, you know, like a week's journey to give you, to give you some idea. They go a week away from the problem. And having just got back there now, Jesus says, we're going to go back down to the place where people were going to throw rocks at me. And they say, you don't want to go there. They'll throw rocks at you. And only one of them, the twin, good old Thomas, our patron saint. Aren't you glad, by the way, we're not Saint Didymus? Anyway, good, good, good old Tom, which would be the same thing, by the way. Uh, good old Thomas says, let's go die with him. And that's, that's quite bold, right? Because in some ways, at least the, the, the religion I grew up with and then internalized, I would have said, let's go watch him die. At least Thomas is willing to go die with him. But I want to tell you, I think both of those responses miss where at least I feel like the story's taking me this week. Both of them. Both of them miss it. And because this is in the middle of the gospel, it recalls what happens at the beginning. At the beginning of the gospel, Jesus is talking to the people who followed John. And Andrew is the one who says, Lord, where are you staying? And to Andrew, Jesus says, come and see. Come and see. Not, oh, on 43rd Street in the Motel 6. He says, Come and see. And of course, what Jesus is inviting Andrew and the other disciples to do is to follow him on a way of life that is different from the way of life they've already been living. And here, it happens in reverse. Here, when Jesus is the one who says, where have you laid him? And they respond, come and see. There's one other pause I've got to put on before I, I, I finish, which you'll be grateful when I'm done, by the way. I already know, because um, I'll be done. Um, one other pause here. If this story is just about a guy who lost his life for four days, it's a neat story. It's neat. And it says something really neat like Jesus can give life back to people who have been dead for four days, and that's neat. But if it's just a neat story, for me it has nothing to do with what it is to follow Jesus or God. So I want you to go with me for a second, as uncomfortable as this may be. I want you to leave the frame that Lazarus is physically dead, that his brain and his heart are no longer working. And I want you to consider with me the experience that I've had and you've had. Lazarus is in a tomb. He's in a place of death. 
They have put him in a stone cave. And you'll see these. We even saw one on the pilgrimage next to the road. It's about six feet long and two feet wide and about four feet tall. It's a place you put a body until it's decomposed, and then you take the bones and you put them in a niche in the same room. That's what Jewish tombs look like at the time of Jesus. And you roll a rock in front, not to have it hermetically sealed. You intend to open it again and put the bones in a niche. You roll the rock there so that the animals can't carry the bones away. Lazarus has been put in there, and they've, they've covered it up. And instead of thinking about that as just literal, I want you to think about that as a place of death where people are currently consigned by the way we live and by the way we function. And I'll tell you, there are parts of ourselves that are often relegated to such places of death. I've been there in my own life. Those dead places and those dead people, Jesus says, where have you put them? Where have you put them to rot and be sealed up because they stink to you? And they say, Jesus, come and see. And not until they invite Jesus in their way of life, their way of putting the people they are afraid of or the people that are smelly to them, does Jesus weep. This is not just Jesus weeping because Lazarus is not upright. I am confident that the gospel writer envisions Jesus weeping because of the way that we lead parts of ourselves and other people into death to rot. And of course, Mary and Martha offer us very different perspectives about how we even go about interacting with God on this. Martha runs to Jesus, and they have this really interesting conversation, but I'm not even sure it's a conversation because neither one really seems to be listening to the other. Martha says, Lord, if you weren't here, my brother would have died, but whatever you ask God will happen. Who knows what she's thinking is going to happen. Jesus says, your brother will rise again. And of course, <laughs> you know... You could tell she was ready to have a theological conversation and, you know, to make her salient points. Oh, I know he'll rise again at the last day. Amen. And and Jesus says, well, you know, I'm the resurrection and the life, and whoever believes in me will live. Do you believe that? Oh, I believe you're the Messiah. I believe you're the one who will deliver us from Roman oppression eventually. Notice, she never confirms what he says. And the proof is, when Jesus says, roll the rock away, she says, that's stinky. I don't want to smell that. Some people say Martha's got the right confession, but I want to tell you, I think she totally misses it. Mary, interestingly enough, doesn't have a conversation with Jesus. She comes and says, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And then she just sits down and allows God to have empathy with her. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? Now, again, you pick what to talk about here, right? I could talk about, for a long time, how much time I waste in prayer telling God what God's supposed to do instead of kneeling down and saying, God, have empathy with me. (laughs) I've wasted about 35 years of my life doing it the wrong way. Instead, though, instead of talking about that, 
I want to talk a little bit more about this way that leads to death. Because there's an interesting detail in the story. When Lazarus comes out of the tomb, his hands and his feet are bound. His hands and his feet are bound. And you might be thinking, that's what people did with corpses back then. And it isn't. Nobody bound your hands and your feet with handcuffs to lay you in a tomb. And that's why I'm pretty sure John is asking us to think not just about literal physical death here, but about the death we consign parts of ourselves and others to. And maybe you're wondering already, that's so ambiguous, Mike, what are you even talking about? What I'm talking about, and we all have different people in tombs and different parts of ourselves, but at least what I'm talking about today, having adopted a child in foster care, are labels that get put on people that consign them to tombs for the rest of their life to rot. What are those? Bipolar schizophrenia, Tourette's syndrome. You come up with your own name. And when you hear that somebody has one of those things, oh, and that's just children. <laughs> we do this to senior adults too, right? When you hear that somebody has one of these, you think, poor them. Poor their family. Must be tough. And maybe those are okay at the beginning of empathy, but in my experience, what they often do is consign somebody to be a second-class citizen in our world. And there is nothing that smells more like second-class citizenship than death. And there is nothing that will bind your hands and feet more than being laid in one of those tombs or closets. And here, perhaps, is Jesus saying, roll away the tomb you have put those people in so that they can live and unbind them, so that they can live an unfettered life. Maybe that's wild. But I think that's what I hear. And I think the reason I started about resurrection and resuscitation is because it's darn important. You see, both the bones and Lazarus, the bones, the dry bones, you know, they will die again. And their bones might dry out again and get spread out. And Lazarus will die again, and golly, those places where we have died are sometimes the places we are most prone to die again. And if you know anybody who has real depression, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because nobody is resurrected from depression. Nobody has it one time and meets the Lord and then their life is great. No, having walked that road, the road is now paved and marked. We know how to walk it again because we've been there before. There is no eternal deliverance from our problems until we die. And I almost think that's the deeper meaning here. Because if you know, folks, have struggled is not even the right word, is it? 
If you know folks who struggle with depression, there comes the point for which you hear them say, just roll the tomb shut. Why try this anymore? And I think Jesus is telling the people it is worth trying again. It is worth it. God can do it. And maybe we're not supposed to hear that God is telling us to do it. Maybe only God can breathe life into places that are dead. Maybe only God can do that. But I know that God is telling us to unbind those people. That's the commandment. Unbind them and bring them out. Unseal the tomb that you have sealed so that I can even do it. At the very least, Jesus is telling us to cooperate with God in bringing new life right now. Of course, on Easter, we'll talk about resurrection, and that's when God makes all this stuff happen forever, but it doesn't happen until we die. And that's a long time away for many of us. Even if it's six months away, that's a long time to live in a place of death, don't you think? So maybe this story is about us, again, cooperating with God, who yearns to breathe life into closets, into tombs, into places we consign people, again, and parts of ourselves to rot. And I am certain the injunction for the people to unbind Lazarus or instructions for us as to how to live as a community. To unbind each other. To roll away. To believe that God is able, even if it's fleeting and tenuous, to breathe life into places where we thought there could only be rot. And then this story, really, you see, is all about Lent. Because wasn't that the goal of Lent five weeks ago? We were going to give up something that was not giving us or other people life. We were going to give it up. Or we were going to take on something that would give us or other people some new life. We were going to unbind ourselves. We were going to unbind people who we'd been binding. Sad to say, maybe you were thinking, just two more weeks of that. <laughs> there are just two more weeks of that. But of course, that little thing that we gave up or took on was really just about the beginning. The beginning of new ways of life. Of ways in which we were called to come and see how Jesus would breathe new life instead of inviting him to come and see the ways we live without it. And my prayer is you've seen it for five weeks. Even just a glimmer. And my prayer for myself and my prayer for you 
is that the glimmer may come and go, but with God it will come back and it is worth, it is worth trying. It is worth trying to bring back in ourselves and in others. It is tenuous. It is short-lived sometimes. But if we take up the real spirit, not just of land, of discipleship, and we unbind those who have been called to those places, and we unbind those places of ourselves, God is able to bring our dry bones ever so slowly back to life again and again and again because you are worth it. And your life and your joy is worth it. And my life and my joy is worth it. And so is the life and the joy of the world. So these last two weeks of Lent and these last remaining years of your life, may we unbind, may we unbind ourselves and others to experience the new life God has for us.